Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who wishes that he could get people to lend his ears more readily, is Palmer. How are you today? Good. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Well, that's nice. Hmm. It is pretty nice. Palmer, we're here to talk about the 1954 Best Picture nominees for the Academy Awards. How do you feel about that? I mean, this was a better group than I thought it was going to be. This is probably so the there's a... this is probably the best group of movies from the fifties that we've had yet, um, or one of the best. I don't know if it's the best. I'd have to go back and look at what the other yeah movies I, are. I'm not willing to say concretely that it's the best, no. but it's definitely not the worst. Yeah, traditionally, the fifties are always the the weak points. Like you can always pinpoint which movies we don't like the most, and it usually comes down to the fifties and the eighties. Those are our two, like, those, because like, popular movies in the 80s, super fun. Um, award-winning movies in the 80s, not super fun. <laughs> super not. Super not fun. <laughs> so, so, and the same, the same kind of goes for the 50s. But anyway, the films aren't as follows. From Here yes. to Eternity, Roman Holiday, Shane, Julius Caesar, and The Robe. Palmer, what won Best Picture? Roman Holiday? It did not win Best Picture. It was From Here to Eternity. Okay. Yeah, Roman Holiday's the... F- it was a 50-50 yeah, shot. Yeah, Roman Holiday's the most famous, I think, of the films. Um, oh, ma- it's many, a Roman many... Holiday with you, but... He wasn't in this movie. <laughs> Ironically. Neither was Mary Poppins. Hmm, good point. Good point. Good point. So, anyway, uh, let's talk... The Robe first, shall we? Okay. Directed by Henry Coster, written by Philip Dune, Gina Kaus, Albert Maltz, Lloyd C. Douglas. That seems like a lot of people to write this movie. Maybe it's Albert Maltz and based on the novel by Lloyd C. Douglas. But, you know, a lot of movies, you know, a lot of movies have multiple writers. You just we just don't always know them the newer they are. You know, as time goes on, people are like, oh, yeah, that movie was written by like 20 people. You know, they mm-hmm. don't care anymore. Anyway, starring Richard Burton, Gene Simmons, Victor Mature, and Michael Rennie. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Richard Burton, and Cinematography for a Film in Color. This movie won Best Art Direction and Best Costumes, both for a Film in Color. Story revolves uh, around the Roman province of Judea during the first century, where Roman tribune Marcellus uh, Galeo is ordered to crucify Jesus of Nazareth, but is tormented by his guilty conscience afterward. Um, just a full disclosure: my mom loves this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had seen bits of it before. I felt like I needed to mention that because I'm slightly biased in that way where I have not fond childhood memories of it, but I certainly have memories of it. Okay. Um, I think this movie starts pretty strong, and when he gets to Judea, it really starts to fall off the cliff pretty quickly. The first or second time? The first time. I think so it's, prior it, to the crucifixion. Prior to the crucifixion. I think it, it's an interesting concept. It's this guy, you know, who it, like 
basically disobeys the emperor and they're like fine go to judea because you suck which is actually historically accurate which i did like because judea was literally just like an in-between spot that the roman empire controlled so they could get to africa like that was their whole as one does right that was their whole reason for having it they're like we need to stabilize this area so we can trade the end so it was like a nothing gig. Like people, the people who were there were either like bad at their jobs or in trouble or like had a beef with somebody or something like that. Um, and that includes Pontius Pilate, you know. So like everybody was there, you know, because they didn't want to be. See, I don't recall. He doesn't have issues with the emperor at the start of this movie. That's he correct. has issues. He has issues with who will become emperor. That's right. Right. Um, but that is like in its own way blasphemous, you know, and so kind of I I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed how this movie, everybody seemed to be playing their role at like a two or three. And then you have Caligula, who is playing his role at like a 12. It was like Mickey, uh, Mickey Rooney in uh, a midsummer uh um, is it, Midsummer uh, Night's Dream? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where he was like the, he was like the uh, small little twerp that was screwing around with everybody. Yes, yeah. He's um, Puck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, like Caligula was at a twelve in real life, where everybody else <laughs> is generally at a two to three. So in right. some ways, I'm like, I get what you're doing here, but you're like way in a di- you're in a different movie you you overestimated the amount of energy you needed to bring into this movie i know because everyone's pretty much playing it subtle because like this is like this is the first movie filmed in cinemascope right so like everybody's like hey look we're just here for the nice scenery and the nice costumes we, <laughs> we know what this movie is and he's like i'll show you what this movie is like holy but, goodness! But you know what? I really enjoy. I really enjoyed Caligula's time on screen because he actually brought some energy to the movie that, at times, can be very reverential and dour. I, you know, it's true. I think that's actually one of the flaws of the movie, where it's like I think, it, like as I said, it starts strong because, like, when they show up in the first place, like they really never show Jesus, which I think is which is a cool. Yeah, little... he was actually just like. Um... Like some, like somebody in the like secondary, uh, the second DAP or something. Really? Oh, they were like, yeah. here's this robe, ride a donkey, yep. <laughs> right? Because they told always... no, he already had the robe on. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Weird time. Yeah, I like this. Like, oh, there he is in the distance, and blah. And we're gonna talk about him like it's nothing, and then you only see his feet or whatever. It's like, like I like this mythical jesus that they kind of that they they kind of went with but like they did that with anybody that happened to be in the bible like what got me what what really got me was when like um gaius or uh marcellus is running around so richard burton's running around he's like i'm feeling the guilt and the stuff and all this stuff and he ends up talking to this random dude and he's like by the way sir what is your name my name is Judas. Judas. Lightning crash. No, thunder. That was giant. That wasn't oh, no, him. It was, it that was, the that was his. That's right. It was that was his servant. servant. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's when I texted you. I'm like, man, I really want to know this guy's story. He really seems like he's going places. I know. That's the, that's the scene. I think I texted you when I watched it. I was like, this movie like takes a turn. 
Like, cause like, it's like doing a thing and I right. like, liked what it was doing and it was almost real. And then it just went right into, uh, ham. No, I, it went right I, into I, ham territory. No, I loved that part, especially since they had the, tr- like he's going up an al- like an alley stairway and the tree is perfectly framed. Yep. This is like, Oh, by the way, this is where he's going. This yeah. tree. Oh man. <laughs> um, I mean, it was interesting. I don't think I disliked it as much as you no, did. I as didn't far dis- as I didn't dislike it, this is like a three out of five. It's like watch it if you want. Don't yeah. watch it if it's your thing. You'll enjoy it, which I kind of did. But I just don't think that it's like I. Uh, it's I think amazing. the movie. Yeah, no, I think the movie goes downhill a bit the second time he goes to Judea. I think. Up until then, the movie is is briskly paced, like because they killed Jesus fairly early. Like he's not really the point of the movie. No, to an extent. No, it's like the 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 symbol of the robe, like Jesus's robe right. that Marcellus wins. So and, you know, right? The... And then they and then he goes back to Judea to find the robe because he thinks he's bewitched. bewitched. And that's bewitched. when I feel like do, 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 do. <laughs> that's when I feel like the movie starts becoming a crawl and a slog because it's his essentially conversion into believing in Jesus, which isn't, which is, you know, is kind of the point of the movie. Yep. But I feel like it's just done at a much, like a very lethargic pace. It is. Well, I mean, but at the same time, like you don't want him to be like, I, I, I haven't converted. Well, what do you know about anything? I know nothing. I'm just, I just am. You know, like, in some ways, I, like, you don't want him to be like, right? But I believe I, it all, even though I've never heard a thing about it. I think the way that the movie was pacing itself prior to that is what kind of threw it off. Like, it was just a noticeable shift in pacing. Yes. Um, I also I also really liked um, the old man that he was talking to in Judea the second time around, who's kind of, like, converting him as we go along. And he brings him to see Peter, and he's like, everyone else left Jesus' side except Peter. He stayed by his side and did nothing wrong the entire time. (laughs) That was really funny. (laughs) Yeah. What about the deny? He did nothing wrong. Um, I would like to point out, I'm not saying I'm very Christ-like, but both me and Jesus, I don't know. Both me and Jesus call people by different names in their actual name. That's also that is true. I, that was funny. Like yeah. this man, the way they framed that Simon the fisherman. Weird. His name is Peter. Yeah, like they, <laughs> they the way they framed that was so weird. They're like, ah, it's Simon the fisherman who Jesus called Peter. Right. Context. Like, why did Jesus call him Peter? Like nothing. Because Jesus couldn't remember the name. Jesus he was, was like. like yeah, oh, you're Peter. Your name Simon. We already have a Simon, so <laughs> you're gonna be Peter. Do you, you okay? About, I can o- you okay about that, PD? I, All right, great. <laughs> I can only call so many people the lesser. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and I will say the the very the the very very and I'm talking like last thirty seconds of the movie is. A choice. Honestly, honestly I don't remember because they're, we had to they're push this walking back, down. So I watched these like a week yeah. and a half before you. They're walking the aisle to their execution, 
and Hallelujah is playing. Oh uh, yeah, that's and right. And you get and you get the fade from the courtroom into like clouds and like it's a choice, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But you know, this movie's not terribly well reviewed. If you like actually go back to look at the reviews, it's like Richard Burton didn't really like this. No, you can see why. He's not very good. I mean he's Fine. He's always like he's he, always good. He's Richard Burton. He was shocked that he got nominated because as was he, I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was also not um I believe he's also not religious remotely. No. So he also didn't really like the religious aspects of the movie. He was just which, like, I want to wear Roman armor at the end. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, yeah. It's 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 a movie. Most, it's mostly well acted. I enjoyed it. Um, it's very it's, pretty. It, it's very pretty, but it also gives you a lot of fodder for criticism and making fun of it. Oh, it sure does. But sometimes that's the best kind of movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next movie. No. The movie about. Oh, no. no. Let's move on to fun no. facts. Fun facts. Yes. It's actually been a long time since I forgot about fun facts. It really has been. Mm. It has to be the height of Hollywood irony that an atheist, chain-smoking, alcoholic, whose co-star was having an open affair with him, though both were married, portrayed the two righteous Christians willing to be martyred for their faith whose closing soliloquies are about mortality and faith. You know, but that's acting, baby, and they (laughs) were good at it. I guess Gene. Sim- right. I actually really liked Gene Simmons in this movie. She was. She was. Yeah. Good. No, she's really good. I would say Richard Burton's like one of the only ones that, at times, I don't like in the movie. His energy is just not there at times, and I think that you could what... tell he didn't care about the movie. Yeah. Famous as the first film released in CinemaScope, but was not planned that way. After oh. a week of shooting in standard flat Academy aspect ratio, one point three seven one. The production was shut down. When the production was resumed, principal photography started from scratch, shooting alternative takes in both Cinescope and Academy format on the assumption that not all theaters booking the film would rush to equip themselves with an expensive widescreen and stereophonic sound playback equipment. Though the film was initially released only in Cinemascope, for until well into the home video era, a transfer from the flat negative was the only version to play on television. Now the Cinescope version is the only version to play. Oh, that's in, that's very interesting. So, I I mean, this movie really benefited from the Cinemascope because it was... But you could also tell that they weren't prepared for it because, like, the backdrops really do look like backdrops. See, you say that, but then we go to fun fact number three. Oh, dear. The two negatives differ in more than pictorial composition. The two versions' opening shots are markedly different. The length of shots and scenes in each are differ slightly. Actors' performances are somewhat different, and the sound designs are also divergent, with with some actors' voices being replaced via looping. It is widely thought that the flat version is slightly better than its scope sibling. Oh, good. That I would. I see. That's. I then I agree with that. That's that. That backs up what I said. That they, yeah. they they weren't prepared. They were not prepared for. They were not prepared for what they what they had. So, but you're prepared. You're always preparing. You prepare. Why are you preparing? You're always preparing. Just go. Just go, sir. Shouldn't you sit down? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, good uh, stuff. Okay. Now, yep. now let's move to now let's move. Uh let's go to our next movie about Rome. That's three out of five of these movies. Um yep. Julius Caesar. Directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, written by William Shakespeare. Oddly. Um adapted for the screen by Joseph L. What Mankiewicz. What do you mean oddly? I said obviously, not oddly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oddly. <laughs> Shakespeare's oddest show. It was just so unlike his other things. Um It was it wasn't as happy. No, it's a history. That's why. History's rarely happy. Um starring Marlon Brando, James Mason, um, John Goolgood, L- Lois, or Lewis, sorry, Lo- Lois, oh my gosh, what is happening to me? Lewis, Calhern, Greer Garson, and Deborah Kerr. Uh, nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Brando, Black and White Cinematography and Music. This movie won Black and White Art Direction. Uh, the plot, if you do not know, revolves around the growing ambition of Julius Caesar, which is a source of major concern to his close friend Brutus. Um, Cassius persuades him to participate in the plot to assassinate Caesar, but they have both sorely underestimated Mark Antony. Um, so this is the uh, side quill to Cleopatra, which we... Um, which she's not even in this movie at all. No, but that's where... But it's funny watching Cleopatra for last episode and then watching this one. And you can be like, oh, where's Mark Antony? Oh, I know where he is. He's in Egypt. Right? Oh, at the end? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, okay. yeah, not during. Yeah, because I'm like, no, he was in Rome. Like, yeah, I know. Him. Yeah, I know. He's right there. He he takes everyone's ears from them. Remember? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he gives them back. But ah <laughs> uh, ah, uh, Roman, you bunch of fickle people. You're so fickle. They are. They were fickle people. I mean, who? <laughs> I mean, who isn't truly? Uh, I really liked this. This I think this is one of the better Shakespeare adaptations that we've actually watched for the show. Um, I think it's pretty hard to screw up Julius Caesar. It's pretty straightforward. Like you have to, the, the you have to almost like be on the side of the people who commit the crime and then change your mind, kind of like the Romans. Much, yeah, <laughs> much like the Romans. Much like the Romans. How dare you kill Caesar? But th- but look at it from our point of view. Yay, Caesar's dead. Now here's Mark Antony. Guys, it's Caesar. Boo! Boo! See, boo! You killed Caesar. I go back to my original position. <laughs> you tricked me. The assassination sum- of Julius Caesar was not as fun as previously indicated. I, I summed up the midway point of that movie perfectly. Yes, you did. That was that was perfect. Um, yeah. I so I I really much I very much enjoyed this production. I thought I thought everybody was I thought everybody was well cast. Um, I thought the costumes were great. The cinematography was good. The music was great. Um, th- I mean, the story's good. I like Julius Caesar. I like the story. It, it, I like that it's from Brutus's perspective, um, because it, it, it kind of hammers home, like not like it, it hammers home the feeling bad part of it because like normally when you hear about the assassination of Julius Caesar you're like yeah everybody killed him and you're like wow he must have sucked like if everyone was just like I want to stabby I want to stab stab stabby <laughs> um and so to to gain some of Brutus's perspective and so to see you know the et tu brute you know like I'm so upset that we were friends and that you know and and that you decided that you needed to kill me that right it is very heart-wrenching it is strange that 
they're the like the same age. It was a strange casting uh, for this movie because Brutus is supposed to be so much younger than the rest of them. Because yeah, he, he get, was the young upstart, right? Well, he kind of gets like wrapped up into like everybody's like, yeah, kill him, you know. And he's like, yeah, I guess, you know, sure. <laughs> Look, we're all killing him. You got to do it too. Yeah, come on, we're all smoking the weed. Like, get off, <laughs> you know. We're all jumping off the bridge. You know, we're all breaking into, you know, Citizens Bank. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't. You lost that metaphor yeah, somewhere. I did. I, I, I lost it a few steps back. But you know what I mean. Um, yeah. What did you think? I, uh, look, we watched Cleopatra last year. We watched Cleopatra this year. I'm done with Julius Caesar. Oh yeah, we did watch a Cleopatra last year. Yeah, nineteen thirties. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, I'm done. I don't need to see Julius Caesar. I don't need to see Mark Antony again. I didn't need to see him die again because he dies in every single movie. Oh well, I mean, he, he does die in real life too, so it makes right. Sense. Yeah. But I mean, I could understand them talking about his death and not showing it in like Cleopatra. Yeah, but it's true. Um. Like I said, he I, also dies. Like the the title of the show dies halfway through the movie, or slash stage show. It's true, but the memory of Julius Caesar lives on afterwards. So it's almost like it, the the martyrdom makes makes the rest of the show. It's not like they like kill him and ever like eventually forget about him. You know, they're like, oh well, that's done with. You know, like he's he's an intricate part to the second act, even if I mean, the question becomes, second half, would anybody so. remember him if Shakespeare didn't write about him? Probably. He was the first emperor of Rome. Like, I would say that, yes, people would know who he was. OK, so it was fine. I I thought Marlon Brando did a good job. Uh, I thought everybody was very snappy in their delivery. They were very snappy, uh, mm-hmm. which can be which can be. um a downfall of some Shakespearean adaptations. Looking at you, Lawrence Olivier, with your... To be or not <laughs> to be. That is the question. Like, oh, yeah. oh my god. Like, I don't know, are you, are you? can you not remember your lines? Do you think it's more important than what it actually is? Uh, when I teach was, when I teach Hamlet, I show different versions of "To Be or Not to Be" from different actors, and when we get to Olivier's, there yeah. the, the students you just go the, off a of popcorn. No, the students in the room are always like, "What is he doing? Like, <laughs> like, why are those the choices he has decided to make at that time? Like, it's just all over the place." Yeah, I mean it's it's a fine movie. Like I said, I was just I think I'm kind of over anything Julius Caesar at this point. Sure, which I would say is probably not a fault of the movie so much as just like you're also just ti- you're tired of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the matter of how we've seen these in such a rapid succession that I'm just like, all right, yeah, he dies. Yeah, yeah, everyone stabs him. Yeah, yeah, et tu brute. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I that people like... probably wouldn't know who Brutus was if not for William Shakespeare. So I think people would know Caesar, but I don't know if people would know Brutus. Okay. You know. Um, But I do like how it gives us a little bit more insight into um, what happens to Brutus and the rest of them afterwards. Right, because it's not like, oh, I'm just going to walk away and there's no problems here. I just 
murdered the emperor. No big deal. Yep. Not really the emperor. The We're going to be in charge. Oh, oh, crap. Mark, we shouldn't have let Mark, Mark Antony say the last words. We should have known the Romans were going to go with whoever talked last. Yeah, that's, that's what people do. Well, that's actually where I think in a lot of ways where I really like this show because like, people just be people, right? You know, because like, you know, this was, you know, written a couple hundred years ago, writing about a couple hundred years before, you know, a couple thousand years before that. And so like. You know, like 1,500 years previous, if not a little bit more. And so you're like, people are just people all the time. They're like, you spoke last. I'll believe you. That sounds good. Yeah. Like, I don't have time for this. I've got to go make bread. (laughs) i got to go make sourdough. Like, let's (laughs) let's go. Uh, Let's wrap this up. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Speaking of wrapping it up, though, you want to do some fun facts? I do. This movie was shot in just 35 days. Using some of the sets from Quo Vadis, nineteen fifty one. They use Quo Vadis sets. Yeah. Oh, you're, Shut up. You're gonna like that movie. <laughs> I refuse to believe you've ever. Heard no, of that no movie. I had to watch it in college for a class. Okay. They were dismantled, flown from Rome to Hollywood, and then reassembled for the film. Producer John Houseman confirmed that it was never intended that the movie be shot in color. As he and director Joseph L. Mankiewicz wanted it to have the urgency of a newsreel, not to look like a costume epic. Hmm. Yeah. It do- it doesn't uh, it doesn't really do that. It's just in black and white. But I like that yeah. idea. News on the march. Yeah. <laughs> Brutus stabs Caesar. Brutus the only one. Nobody else. <laughs> yep. Peter's not at fault. <laughs> The soundtrack was recorded in four stereo in four track stereo, although it had not been filmed in widescreen. But the movie was eventually released in mono. If it had been released in four track stereo, this movie and not the robe, which was made in cinema, cinemascope, would have been the first movie released used using the method of recording. The movie was eventually released in stereo on laser and DVD. Hmm. Well, what do you know? Mm-hmm. Although this play depicts Caesar resisting his assassins, in fact, he deliberately let them kill him. Having straightened out his affairs and named Octavius his heir in his will beforehand, because his epilepsy was worsening and he knew another Caesar would could potentially kill him. Isn't that crazy that we like you play like we play it up like, oh no, he died before his time, but he probably would have been dead in a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah. I also like how I've watched now three million movies with Julius Caesar, it seems, and not once is his epilepsy actually. Uh... Yes, it is. It was he had it in Cleopatra. Did he? The remake. Yeah. Remember? Because she like sees him like have it. Oh, right. She sees right, him. Right. Has a, she she sees him have a seizure. Caesar's seizure. Seizure. Yeah. yeah that is hard to say. <laughs> Caesar's seizure. <laughs> Nope, Ever, you are. Yeah, yeah it's so hard. My wife and I were walking around the house after watching Cleopatra trying to say Caesar's seizure over and over again. It's so hard. The cat was the only one. Yep. Because he doesn't have lips. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Okay, cool. Let's move on to Shane, directed by George Stevens, written by A.B. Guthrie Jr., based on the novel by Jack Schaefer. 
uh, starring Alan Ladd, Gene Arthur, Van Heflin, Brandon Wilde, and Jack Palance. Nominate- Walter Jack Palance. Walter Jack Palance. Yeah, I cut the Walter out. I knew who it was. Um, nominated for Best uh, Picture, Supporting Actor for DeWilde and Palance, Director and Writing. This movie won Best Cinematography for a Film in Color. Uh, is about a weary gunfighter who attempts to settle down with a homestead family, but a smoldering settler-rancher conflict forces him to act. Um, this movie should have been super fun and cool and awesome, and it wasn't. It was really boring. Why should it have been super fun and cool and Because awesome? he's a cool, weary gunfighter, and he's like, I don't want to fight anymore. Uh, I guess I'll fight now. You know, like, that's like... Yeah, but that's literally every Western. I know, and it should have been cool, the, but it the wasn't. The only time that trope has ever worked is in... The Dark Knight Returns. No, the no. Susan Sarandon one. Which one? Not Susan Sarandon. Susan um, Sarandon. Unforgettable. Oh, no. Tombstone. No, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Gene Hackman. Leonardo DiCaprio and Gene Hackman. Quick and the Dead. Oh my gosh, I never would have gotten there ever. Oh, that is such a great movie. I love that movie. Sounds so much. good. If it's, is it about a weary gunfighter who attempts to settle down with a homestead family, but a smoldering settler ranch conflict forces him to act? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, well, right, you're right. That's a Western. You've um, never seen Quick and the Dead? I have not. I'm honest, truthfully, I'm not very. I'm not a big Western. Or I wasn't a big Western fan when I was a kid, or yeah, even because Westerns suck. Isn't it? They like really never, like they really never did anything for me. Um, there, it's only like pretty recently that I've like come to appreciate some, like not so some of the older westerns that are like there was. We weren't doing anything wrong to any indigenous people. Like we loved everybody. There was nobody. <laughs> How the here. West was fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those I don't really necessarily care for, but you know, realistic westerns I find very interesting. I like the western expansion is is something I'm interested in. Yeah. But anyway, no, because no, this movie that... falls into the former category of we weren't doing anything wrong, like hush, then uh this it it just kind well, of Well, I falls mean, one flat. of them one of them kind of the main actor Talks about Alan Ladd. You know they pretty yeah no the other guy the main Homestead actor, um, Van Heflin. Yeah, he was like, well, you guys stole this land from the Indians, and like he essentially talks about it. Sharon Stone was the lead in oh, Quick and Sharon the Dead. Stone. Yep, that's... and Russell Crowe. Wow, Ooh, that's easy. That's got a lot going a... for it. It has got a really good cast. You need to watch it right now. Okay. See ya. I'll wait. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll finish this on my own. All right. Go ahead. Keep talking then. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is this is the kind of Western that I absolutely hate, uh, which is like most Westerns. Not a lot happens. It's the same basic story over and over again. And I'm just – it's not my it's not my jam – like nothing about their their rules of more of morality or how to settle conflicts or basically living are anything that I tend to agree with or or you know support in the least bit so it's kind of hard to put myself in the movie and in the shoes of people cuz I'm like oh you all just suck yeah wow this movie is good you're right Oh yeah, it is. Quick and the Dead, great movie. This cast is crazy. 
Yep. Keith David. Yeah. Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, Leo DiCaprio, Tobin Bell, uh, yep. Kevin Conway, Keith David, Pat Hingle, Gary Sinise, Mark Boone Jr. It's like, this is a really solid lineup. Yeah. Directed by Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah. Should have led with that. Um, I forget. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been. Now I'm like really on board. Before I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. Now I'm like. Oh, yeah. No, no. Now you'll, I'll watch you'll love it. it. Yeah. All right, yeah. Cool. Cool. So anyway, yeah, this movie's super boring, but it is really pretty. I will say I, I think that this is like maybe the prettiest out of these movies. Close to the prettiest. No. Um. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I liked it. Um, it's a lot of flat desert. No, it's not. It's a lot of mountains. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is yeah, flat desert, mountains. What's a potato, potato is what yep. I say. Yeah. Look, if this movie had more Jack Palance, I would have liked it more. But, but it, it didn't. didn't. But it didn't. So, oh, well, too bad. Too bad for you. Um, it didn't really have a lot of Jack Palance. You're right. But he was Jack Palance. He sure was. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because I saw the name in the in the credits at the beginning, and I'm like Walter Jack Palance. Like, is that just Jack Palance? Like, what did he shorten his name? And then I see him in the movie, and he's just standing there looking all Jack Palancey, and I'm like, Yeah, you're Jack Palance. Yeah, you're Jack Palance. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, give me some fun facts on Shane because I have nothing to say about this movie. Also, I watched these like yeah. I said a week and a half ago, so my memory of what happens in most of them is pretty slim. It also didn't help that I knew the ending ahead of time. Oh, well, that's not fun. Because um, the movie The Negotiator is with, the movie Shane. No, with Kevin Spacey and um, Samuel L. Jackson. They talk about it, and there's an entire subplot about how – about Shane at the end. And Kevin Spacey's like, he can't come back because he's dead. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Spoilers. In the few <laughs> – Hi, Tolkien. Oh, yes. Yeah, my cat just jumped by. <laughs> yep. In the funeral scene, the dog consistently refused to look into the grave. Finally, director George Stevens had the dog's trainer lay down in the bottom of the grave, and the dog played the part ably. The coffin, loaded with rocks for appropriate effect, was then lowered into the grave. But when the harmonica began to play Dixie spontaneously, the crew was so moved by the scene that they began shoveling dirt into the grave before remembering the dog's trainer was still there. (laughs) That's funny. I also want to know, like, what, like, they're just there and then Dixie starts playing and they're like, oh, man, that's so sad. Let's fill up this grave. Yeah. Like, (laughs) this will make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where Alan Ladd practices shooting in front of Brandon DeWild took 119 takes to complete. Who made this movie? Kubrick? Yes. Yes. George Stevens, the Kubrick of his <laughs> same time. <laughs> having witnessed having witnessed during his World War II service the profound effects a bullet could have on a man, realism was important to George Stevens. During the making of the film, this Therefore, is one of the first movies to use stunt wires to pull the actors or stuntmen backwards to simulate when they've been shot. Wow. See, that is very interesting. Yes, that's, that is. That's cool. I wish I knew that before watching this movie. That still wouldn't have made this movie good. It would have made me go, huh, and then that would have been more enjoyable <laughs> than the rest of watching this movie. 
there was also a weird subplot that seemed between like him and the wife of the homesteader that seemed to have gotten just like forgotten about halfway through the movie. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I did yeah. notice that. No, Gene Arthur wasn't having it, I guess. No. Okay, moving on. Our last movie about Rome, Roman Holiday, directed by William Wyler, written by Ian McClellan, Hunter, John Dighton, and Dalton Trumbo. Do you have fun facts about Dalton Trumbo? In Of course. Okay, great. Cool. Um, starring Gregory Peck, Audrey Hepburn, and Eddie Albert. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Eddie Albert, Director, Writing, Black and White Cinematography, Black and White Art Direction, and Editing. This movie won Best Actress for Hepburn in Writing, uh, Posthumous for Trumbo, and Costumes for Black and White Film. The uh, story revolves around a bored and sheltered princess who escapes her guardians and falls in love with an American newsman in Rome. Uh, Roman Holiday is a great movie. I always enjoy it. It's lovely. Right? Moped. You, sound, Mope. you sound like that. Mopeds. Rome. Audrey Hepburn. She's the best. Gregory Peck. He's great. He has scruples and stuff. Um, or does he? But he does. Um, I don't. Right. Truthfully, I don't think there's anything truly special about Roman Holiday. It's just a good movie. Uh, I thought this movie was actually in color. Really? Yep. Is it because the posters are always in color? Yeah. Yeah. But this movie was not in color. Do you know what this movie was? A worse version of the Lizzie McGuire movie. If you want to watch Roman Holiday, just watch the Lizzie McGuire movie or Notting Hill. I'm pretty sure that's but I'm pretty sure those like, are Lizzie, vastly Lizzie, better movies. The Lizzie McGuire movie is like actually modeled on Roman Holiday. Yeah, so is the Notting Hill. Sure. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that about Notting Hill. Well, I mean, it's essentially the same story. Princess runs away. Blah blah blah. Yeah. It's like the reverse yeah. of the Princess Diaries. Kind know? of. Um, those are two. Those are two much better movies. I'm not saying this movie's bad. Uh, Audrey Hepburn is really good. Gregory Peck honestly seems out of place. You know, I thought that too. I just like I. It just felt like, what are you doing in in a romantic comedy? And yet he still didn't teach me how to kill a mockingbird. I told you, it's a metaphor. <laughs> A metaphor what? A meta. <laughs> Get out of it. You're killing me, Smalls. So, yeah. Um, and it seems like there's no real... Consequences? There's no real... There's not, not necessarily consequences, although you're not wrong. Like, he lies to her, and then she finds out. She's like, ha-ha, you scamp. Yeah, and he's like, hi, um, you lied to me, too. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, you got, you got me. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but there's no sort of tension... And the the whole romance is just – I wouldn't say forced, but breezy. Sure. Because it's it a Roman holiday. It just doesn't flesh out Wait, the stuff that you, I would have wanted Mr. for Mr. I love teen teen melodrama. Yes, saying, if they were teens, I would have I bought it. Oh, because like teens are like, oh, I've, I've known you for an hour. I love you. But – but adults are like, you should be better than that. Teens are hyper-emotional, so every emotion that they have is cranked upward, makes it more believable. These two are, I mean, she, on her end, I can see, but on his end, you know, not so much. There's just a lot of things like this movie wants to be, and I don't think delivers on it. Mm. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's, I don't it necessarily agree with that, but I can understand why you think that. And don't get me wrong, it, it doesn't mean at the end of the day it's a bad movie. I think it's a badly written movie. Yeah, I don't I don't really see it as badly written. I see I do see it as dated. I think that would be more of what I'm I'm looking at. If I looked at it from the 50s standpoint, especially in the lineup of these other movies, I'd be like, this is magical. This is the best. This is so good. It is really is it, enjoyable. Also, we've already seen it happen one night, which I think is a much better movie. Yeah, it is. That is similar. Um, yeah, maybe it, maybe it's like, because I like Rome that might be, you know, like I like the setting, uh, which is another part of it. But so if you like moved this to like, I don't know, Iowa, then maybe right. it's not as enter- maybe it's not as then it's just Shane. Then it's just Shane. No. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I, but I think I, I think Audrey Hepburn's been better in other movies, but I still think that. But I think she she also makes something out of a nothing part, which is which is what I think is more masterful. Which is why almost she deserves the award. Out of oh this yeah, lineup she because it's, she is really good in this movie. Yeah, because it's nothing. Like you have to feel for her in some way, and she's she does a lot without saying anything, and uh, and that was and that's good. But it, yeah, like I said, I like this movie, but I I also understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, okay. Fun facts. Paramount originally wanted to shoot this movie in Hollywood. William Wyler refused, insisting it must be shot on location. They finally agreed, but with a much lower budget. This meant the movie would be in black and white, not the expected Technicolor, and he would need to cast an unknown as the princess, Audrey Hepburn. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yes, she was, she was unknown She at the was time. unknown. That is nuts. And here she comes. Yep. Being Audrey Hepburn. One of the reasons why William Wyler was anxious to film in Europe was because he wanted to put some distance between himself and the House Un-American Activities Committee, which was threatening to embroil him in their investigations because of his liberal stances. Good for him. Escape to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Escape to Italy. That'll work. Yeah. What what about Mussolini? Shut Shut up. up. He's, He's dead. Don't worry about it. The original writer, Dalton Trumbo, was blacklisted as one of the legendary Hollywood Ten and therefore could not receive credit for the screenplay, even when it won the Academy Award for Best Picture Story. Instead, his friend Ian McClellan Hunter, one of the writers of the final screenplay, took credit for the original story and accepted the Oscar. Hunter did, however, pass on the $50,000 payment he received for the job onto Trumbo. Trumbo's wife, Cleo, was finally presented with the award in 1993, long after his death in 1976. The Oscar she received was actually a second one because Hunter's son wouldn't give up his father's Oscar. Thus, two awards for Best Motion Picture Story of 1953 exist. The story credit was corrected to credit Trumbo when the restored edition was released in 2002, nearly 50 years after the original release. Wow. Good for Hunter for, like, hey, you actually wrote this movie, so here you go. Like, good for him. Poor Trumbo. Like, Yeah. Um, there was a movie based on him a few years yeah, ago Brian with, Cran- Brian, with Cranston. Brian Cranston. It was pretty good. Not great, but it was good. Um, it's definitely worth checking out, and that's how I knew about 
I knew about this beforehand. Mm. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it was interesting. But he also led like an entire like secret underground uh, blacklisted writing group. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, like because well, it's because most everyone in Hollywood was like, Ugh, like what is happening? Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, it was the studios that wouldn't hire them. That's right, just for the political reasons of not hiring right. them. Yeah, yeah, Ugh, it's terrible. Yeah, because they didn't want the whole studio shut down. You know, because they were like, right. oh, you obviously a yeah. Warner Brothers is communist. Like you uh, want a you want a thinly veiled. Um, Blacklisted style movie, um, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I think Shakespeare in Love was actually on the um, that script was um, one of the like the great unmade scripts, the blacklist, the blacklist scripts. Yeah, so it's kind of ironic that it was a thinly veiled blacklist movie, but also it's on a blacklist script. I also don't like the fact that we call it the blacklist, not. Just because it's confusing. not because I think, not because I think it's like a racial thing, but because you're right, it's confusing. Like the blacklist was, these weren't, you know, these people weren't getting because of political views. Like it was a very politically motivated thing. These scripts just aren't getting made because studios keep passing on them. It's not political at all. That's right. Well, some cases it might. It be. might be, but but yeah. But anyway. Let's move on to our last film for this episode, From Here to Eternity, directed by Fred Zinneman, written by Daniel Taradash, uh, and based on the novel by James Jones, starring Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Clift, Deborah Kerr, Frank Sinatra, and Donna Reed, nominated for Best Actor for Clift and for Lancaster, Actress for Kerr, Costume, Design for Black and White Film, and Music. This movie won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Sinatra, Sporting Actress for Reed, Director, Writing, Black and White Cinematography, Sound, and Editing. This movie takes place in Hawaii in 1941. A private and cruelly punished, uh, a private who was cruelly punished for not boxing on his unit's team, while his captain's wife and second in command are falling in love uh, mere weeks before the attack on Pearl Harbor. I don't know if that was supposed to be, if that's a spoiler or not. Um, but anyway, the, this movie I found was neither great I mean, nor bad. It was simply a movie. I mean, look, you know where this movie takes place. So you kind of have to assume that you're going to see Pearl Harbor. I'll tell you this. I was watching the movie. I liked it for one, but two, I was watching the movie and I'm like, all right, they're on Pearl Harbor. When's the attack happening? When's the attack happening? Mm -hmm. And then I got – I saw – it was like 20 minutes left in the movie. I'm like, I swear to God, if they make this movie and there's no attack on Pearl Harbor. It would be great if it just like – it goes the like the next 15 minutes and then you just hear the – like the siren. I I honestly thought that was going to happen. Like like they were going to end the story and then there was going to be like that postscript. Like, and then the next day the attack happened. Like, there's, like, there's even a scene towards the end where, um, where Warden is leaning up against, um, leaning up against a wall, and there's a calendar that literally says December 6th. Like, this calendar is, like, on this vastly blank wall. 
and it's just there to point out, hey, tomorrow is the day. Oh my god, I've missed that. Or the next, I've, it's whatever, 7th, whatever right? it is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm glad. It, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just like wasn't. It just wasn't for me. Like some mm-hmm. of the like I could. I can see why it won. Like there's a, like Sinatra's very good, Donna Reed's very good. It's very pretty. Like everybody like but some of it is like it's very dated 50s. They're very dated 50s. I wish. I love the 50s. Um but it, I mean, you had Ernest Borgnine in it. Yeah, he sure did. Um but uh for like a hot second. Um but um you know, like I just like the the the, the love story like the, the love story between um what was it Lancaster and um no Montgomery Cliff was it Montgomery Cliff and Deborah Kerr I think um which one the the captain's wife the stories. captain's wife and, okay yeah yep. and the second in command like that that one felt very that one felt very fifties dated to me like oh should we shouldn't we and like the, the like the, this and like ugh, a man. Like, I'm just here. And he's like, well, you're just a dame. Why don't we just get a bite to eat? And you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, that that stuff didn't, yeah, like, I guess. not that it didn't settle right. It's just, like, it is just of its time. It just is what it is. Um, but I did think that, like, the boxing stuff was good. And I think the, the attack itself was really well handled. Um, but it feels so, like, this is just a... This is uh, this was made in fifty three. Attack on Pearl Harbor was fifty one, a uh, forty one. So like it's still in a lot of ways fresh in people's minds. Right, right, right. You know, so like they're like, oh, like we're. Seeing I do it. like how this movie. I do like how this movie kind of shows because, like, I love the movie Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Love it, like absolutely love it. Um, but one of the things that this movie does that Pearl Harbor didn't. Is during slash after the attack is like the worry that we were actually being invaded. Right. That like Japanese people were infiltrating on the island. Right. And they were, were coming by land and take over the sea. island. Right. Right. Like it wasn't just like they attacked and were out. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of how like Pearl Harbor plays it. Because that's essentially what happened, right? But like you hear the new, you hear the radio, like, "Hey, be on the lookout for Japanese people." Oh, I heard like eighteen Japanese people were were taking over the bar downtown or something. Um, so the kind of confusion that this attack, mm-hmm. I imagine, created on the island itself is very evident, and I really like that that inclusion in this. That's a really that's a really good point that there was the the, the reality the reality of fear of the person in the house and like the misinformation that that is coming out because there was no information and you know right. hearsay like uh, you we can relate to that stuff you know it, yeah. you know now still so um so I I agree that part that that stuff was good yeah um. I like the story of him, like, not wanting to box. I think they give him a really good reason why he doesn't want to box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just to be, it's not just to be, like, the counterculture person. Because um, he wants to be in the army. He wants to serve. But he doesn't want to box anymore. Okay. He also was a bugler. 
and then he got busted down because somebody's relative was also a bugler. It it was good because it wasn't the stereotypical like overly masculine army movie. Yes. No, yeah, you know what? You're right. It wasn't. It was almost like it was anti-masculine in that way where he was trying to be um he was trying to demasculate the himself and, they were, and right. everybody was pumping up around him that was that's true and i i wouldn't call this movie un like from that side i wouldn't really say this movie is unrealistic it's just um you know it's the love stuff that like almost like not not brings it doesn't bring the movie down because the movie's still good but it's like those are things are obviously hollywood in a way that some of the other parts of the movie aren't, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, some are almost, like, stereotypically Hollywood in their delivery, whereas some of the movie mm-hmm. is is trying to is trying to be the uh, antithesis to that, to that, yeah. to that model. I will say, while I didn't dislike the storyline of um, the captain's wife mm-hmm. and the sergeant um, having a relationship... I don't feel that it's ever really fleshed out. I agree. It doesn't to really the extent that I would have liked it to have been. It doesn't intertwine with the rest of the movie enough for it to like be worth it. Right. Like so if you cut out if you cut out um if you cut out the other guy's kind of love story. Mhm. So you can devote more time to the other one, then I think you get you get more out of that love story. But because they were basically just following one guy, and then you just had a couple other side stories, I just feel that that story kind of gets left by the wayside. I also feel like his um, Frank Sinatra's character gets left by the wayside. Some of his choices in the movie don't seem right. What do you mean? Like him just walking off guard duty, but he like, was a wild and crazy guy. But we've never like aside from when he was able to go on to onto shore leave or whatever, or like a weekend pass or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like when whenever they gave him weekend passes, yeah, they went out and got drunk, and he would get smashed, and he would act wild. But nothing in the entire movie before that, or even after that gives you the extent that he's like that in his day-to-day life. Well, because he's on duty. Right. So this one time he just decides to walk off duty to go get drunk, like, it was just not a choice that made sense. And I think it's because you don't get enough of his story. He's just kind of there. He's just a side story, and he's... Event is essentially treated like a side story. That I definitely agree with. It's almost like he, he kind of like Caligula was in a different movie inside of the robe, where Frank Sinatra is a little bit inside of a different movie for yeah. From Here to Eternity. And it might just be you know you can't you can't adapt the entire book. Okay, like maybe the book fleshes out these characters more. Good. I want to know more, but I just feel like you probably didn't need to include as much of their story in the movie since you're not going to give us all of it. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, well, I don't really have anything else to say about it, so fun facts. The MPAA, 
ban photos of the famous Burt Lancaster Deborah Kerr passionate kiss on the beach for being too erotic. Many prints had shortened versions of the scene because projectionists would cut out frames to keep as souvenirs. Wow. That's yeah. funny. The scene in which Maggio meets Prue and Lauren in the bar after he walks off guard duty was actually Frank Sinatra's screen test for the part of Maggio. To impress director Frank Zimmerman, he did an ad-libbing in using the olives as dice and pretending to shoot crabs. The entire sequence was kept as is and used in the picture. An urban myth regarding the casting of Frank Sinatra was that the Mafia made Columbia Pictures an offer they couldn't refuse. This, of course, was fictionalized in Mario Puzo's novel The Godfather Mm -hmm. and its subsequent film adaptation. The real reason for Sinatra's casting was mainly his then-wife, Ava Gardner, who was shooting a film for Columbia head Harry Cohn and suggested to him that he use Sinatra. Although initially reluctant, Cohn eventually saw this as being a good idea, as Sinatra's stock was so low at the time that he would sign for a very low salary. Sinatra had been lobbying hard for the role, even suggesting he would do it for nothing, but he was eventually hired for the token amount of eight grand. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it paid off for him. I mean, literally, because he got eight grand, but also because he got <laughs> an award. So, good, yeah. yeah, good for him. Well, do you want to do the uh, 1954 Rewindies? I do indeed. Great. Well, first and foremost, you can follow Palmer on Twitter at Academy Rewind and myself on TimothyPG13 on Twitter. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all the places podcasts can be found. ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to check out all other ThoughtBubble Audio shows and Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio to support all programs. Uh, so, Palmer, let's do the 1954 Rewindies. Um, Okie dokie. For those who, this is the first episode, um, we are only allowed to pick people and thing and movies that are in the lineup that we, um, that we have here, that we have here in front of us. So, let's, let's tally forth, shall we? Uh, best supporting actor, I'm going to give to Frank Sinatra from Here to Eternity. Yes, Frank Sinatra. Great. Best Supporting Actress, I'm going to give to Donna Reed for From Here to Eternity. Uh, supporting, yes. Donna yes. Reed. Good. Production design, I'm giving to The Robe. Production design, I will give to The Robe. Cool. Costume, yeah. costume design, I'm also giving to The Robe. Uh, yeah, The Robe. Makeup and hairstyling, I'm giving to Julius Caesar for no reason is that I couldn't think of any other movie. Roman Holiday. Yeah. I loved the, the, Audrey Hepburn's hair. I actually liked the long hair better, so I was like, you get points deducted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Minus five points from Gryffindor. Exactly. Uh, best music, I'll give to Julius Caesar. Uh, I am going to give it to Alfred E. Newman's score for Shane. For Shane, cool. Okay, I don't even know if that was. I don't even know if it was Shane, but Alfred E. Newman was the joke that I was making last night. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but I'm actually gonna give it to From Here to Eternity. Okay, that's fine. Visual effects, I'm gonna give to the robe. Really? They had a fight scene. All right. You know what? Here no, to, yeah, from here to eternity. Yeah, from here to eternity. I'm gonna change my. <laughs> I'm gonna change my answer. For so I told you I watched these movies a while ago, so like I have a 
they're like they're there's a fuzzy memory. So like the battle scene, best visual, best visual effects, Roman Holiday. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they I like I couldn't remember. Like I remember the shadows of the planes going over the military base, and then that's all I remember. So, um, so that's okay. So visual effects from here, Eternity. Cinematography, I'm going to give for Roman Holiday. Uh, I would give it to the robe. Okay. Editing, I'm going to give to Roman Holiday. Uh, I'm going to give it from Here to Eternity. All right. Sound, I'm going to give from Here to Eternity. Uh, Shane. Shane, cool. Mm -hmm. Actor, I'm going to give to Marlon Brando for Julius Caesar. Supporting actor or actor? Actor. He was was nominated for actor. Okay. So, but Uh, it's also the Rewindies. We can do whatever we want. No, I, I just want I wanted to make sure I knew what we were talking about. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Marlon Brando. Okay, uh, actress. I'm going to give to Audrey Hepburn for Roman Holiday. Absolutely. Cool writing. I'm going to give to Julius Caesar. I'm going to give it to From Here to Eternity. Okay. In both... I, I almost said the robe. <laughs> no. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, best picture, I'm going to give to Julius Caesar. From here to eternity. Yeah, I assumed that would be your pick uh, based on this conversation, and I say good for you. good for you. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, good for but, you. But I mean, like I said, this year was pretty enjoyable. I really only didn't like Shane. Yeah, you know me but too. But a lot of people do. So yeah, whatever. And you know what? People That's can be wrong. Fine, people can be wrong. <laughs> uh, and but of course, time for our um, our new fun segment of what else came out this year that could have been nominated. Um, Peter Disney's Peter Pan came out this year. Uh, okay. War of the Worlds. Gentlemen prefer n- gentlemen prefer blondes. Ooh. Um, robot monster. Oh, see that should have easily taken the place of Shane. You should obviously. Um, the Wild One. Okay. And um, another movie, Calamity Jane, Titanic. Oh, Titanic. Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. That is another contender over Shane. Yeah, I, I say this. A Ray, Ray Harryhausen is definitely a contender. Oh, yeah. At least then we could have known what to pick for best special effects. That's right. Ray Harryhausen <laughs> every time. Um, and that's about it because the rest of the movies they, they've never heard of. Oh, Hondo with um, John Wayne. I, I've seen Hondo. Have you? Yeah. Is it good? Because... Uh, no. Oh, okay. I mean, I also saw it when I was young uh, because they did a 3D – they did a 3D treatment of it way back when. Um, but it's like Shane. It's boring because it's the West. Oh, well. The West is boring. I'm sorry. You're never going to convince me otherwise. I mean, it's, it's each his own. Like, it took me – I mean, like I said, it took me a while to get there. So maybe maybe you'll get there one day. Maybe you won't. Who's to say? doesn't really matter. Coming up next, Palmer, on Academy Rewind, we have a lot of movies because, I mean, we were at war in 1944, so God forbid that you have less movies. Um, So they are as follows. The More the Merrier, which is not true um, in accordance with watching these movies for episodes. (laughs) Uh, In which we serve Madame Curie, Heaven Can Wait, the Oxbow Incident, The Song of Bernadette, The Human Comedy, For Whom the Bell Tolls, It Tolls for Thee, Watch on the Rhine, and Casablanca. Get ready for all wow. these movies, I know. 
Yeah. But, you know, sometimes the ones we've never heard of are the ones that we enjoy the most because, you know, they don't have any, like, baggage. We don't have any baggage behind them. I have nothing to but, that's, like. I'm that's just true. Kidding. For I'm all just... we know, this movie Casablanca could be good. It could be good. We don't know. Casablanca. Yeah. Now, let's decipher what we think that means. Casa, obviously coming from house. the Greek word for um, house. for kimono. Um, that is not. No, no. I don't. Just, <laughs> for house. Obviously, I know and, it means the White House, Casablanca. I know. No. Blanca. It's the house. And Blanca is Blanc- a character in White. Street Fighter. It, He's the he's the green guy. With I the know hair. he was my favorite character. So, I know who he is. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's Blanca's about Blanca's house. house from Street Fighter, the White House. Oh, yes. Anyway, um, that was my that was my quote from the 1990 Captain America movie. How you say White House? <laughs> that was my deep, deep, deep you cut so deep that nobody would get it. So. Anyway, that was Academy Rewind, one of our shortest episodes. But you know what? These movies were just... Really? Like, yeah, it's just barely an hour. Oh. Wow. Okay. Right. Go us. Yeah, well, it's good because they're actually playing us off. No, I have some more people to thank. Well, too bad. Bye. Bye. Bye.